Righto guys, Danny Flexen for seconds out. Not so much breaking news as I imagine most people watch the fight, but just a quick review on the golden contract show tonight on Sky Sports. I've paused it, as you can see behind me, with a new belt around his waist and an arm around one of his trainers, Kevin Mitchell, obviously former great fighter himself, um, O'Hara Davis, who edged Tyrone McKenna, bitter rival Tyrone McKenna in the final of the Golden Contract Tournament for the Super Lightweights. Um, I had it uh, slightly, McKenna slightly ahead, but I wasn't focused completely during a couple of the early rounds. I had some other stuff going on. I was still watching it, but I could understand it going either way. The three men that mattered and the judges, one of whom was also the referee on the night. The referee had it 95-95, uh, so five rounds each. But the other two judges who were scoring from outside the ring had, both had it 96-94, six rounds to four, in favour of O'Hara Davis. Um, the Essex man, well, Hackney man, now based in Essex, um, takes the WBC, I think it's WBC International title, but I stand to be corrected on that. In what proved to be quite a cagey um, tactical affair, despite the fact that there was a lot of pre-fight hostility and build-up between the two, it didn't turn out to be the kind of gripping war that some people expected. It was very tactical, especially in the early going. Um, I thought O'Hara Davis had um, drifted out to a bit of a deficit on the scorecards over the first half of the fight. Um, McKenna was moving around. Not all his shots were landing, but he was certainly throwing a lot more than Davis in the early part of the fight or the first half. Um, and then twisting away, using his height and reach. Obviously, Davis has... Um, Really long reach, disproportionate to his height, but McKenna's six foot one, which is pretty huge for a super lightweight. And he used that to his advantage as much as possible. And early on, it just seemed like there wasn't enough urgency about Davis. He was content to kind of plod after McKenna, follow him around the ring a little bit and try and line up that huge right hand that he has. Um, not huge as in bigger than a standard right hand, but packs a lot of power, as most people know. Um, but then... Things started to change in the middle rounds. Uh, McKenna sustained a cut, quite a severe one actually, to his eye in round six. And that was when Davis really started to put more um, emphasis on his work, cut the ring down a little bit more, try and move his feet into range a bit faster. And I think one of the problems McKenna had, especially as he started to tire, was judging um, Davis's range. So he'd pop off a jab or a double jab. And then as before he could try and take a step back onto the side and move away, um, Davis had counted him. And it's hard to judge with Davis because he isn't the tallest, but does have that long reach. And his reactions for single shots are actually quite snappy. So, and he showed good ring IQ as well, O'Hara Davis. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't enough work rate for me. Um, I thought he could have thrown more shots and I thought he could have varied his work a fair bit more. But what he did throw was intelligent. Um, his shot selection was, was pretty good, if not diverse. And towards the end of the fight, he seemed to take over to an extent. But then... Once it got into like rounds 9 and 10, it seemed like Davis, despite his success, had then allowed um, McKenna to get back into his boxing rhythm. And I thought he was throwing it away. I had it really, really close going into the final round, which I think most people, I haven't seen the judges' scorecards yet, I think most people would say that um, Tyrone McKenna won that final round, got up on his toes. Davis showed very little urgency. Maybe he felt he was clearly ahead, and as it turned out, he was. Um, but yeah, it didn't show particularly a lot of urgency. But he landed the more telling shots throughout the fight, albeit not perhaps as many as McKenna and not in flashy bursts, but the telling shots, the harder shots, you could tell the weight of them. And I think the fact that there's no crowd noise 
only amplifies that. You know, you can hear every shot, as they say, not just through the TV, but I guess the judges um, near the ring as well. And the referee, certainly, although he scored it, as I said earlier, a draw. Good win for O'Hara Davis. Not sure quite where he goes from here. It's the most important victory so far in his career. Only those two defeats, of course, against Josh Taylor, who went on to become a unified world champion. And Jack Casserell, um, who is a mandatory challenger for the other unified world champion at uh, super lightweight, Jose Ramirez. So only lost in really good company. And the Casserell fight was pretty close as well. So he'll look to move up in levels, um, having now won that golden contract. But McKenna can hold his head up higher. A lot of people on social media had him winning. It was a very close fight. Could have gone either way. So he could improve from this under a great coach in Pete Taylor. Um, so we'll see what happens with him. Before I go, I should also mention the uh, Golden Contract Light Heavyweight semi-final. Second one, that took uh, the one that took place on this show. Which saw Liam Conroy, um, unfortunately for a lot of people that like him and the way he goes about his business, fall to a fourth round defeat. Uh, against the German Serge Michael or Michelle, however you choose to pronounce it. Um, he looked a class above, um, to be fair. Uh, Conroy looked good early on, uh, sound fundamentals, good jab, good head movement. But once uh, Michelle got the distance and really started to land, he was the, by far the bigger man physically and landed the more powerful shots as well and um, dropped uh, Conroy a number of times to earn his place in the final opposite Ricard Bolotniks. Um, I don't think many people would have predicted a uh, Bolotniks Michelle final when the draw and, well, when the field was first announced. But that's what we're getting. And we're not sure when that's going to be. Um, but hopefully before the end of this year, perhaps on the show that sees uh, Jazza Dickens and Ryan Walsh finally settle featherweight supremacy in the Golden Contract Tournament. That fight was called off um, yesterday after Jazza and his assistant coach, Derry Matthews, both tested positive for COVID 19. Um, having been tested at the Fight Hotel. Um, they're both keen, both Ryan Walsh and Jazza Dickens, keen to get that fight back on again before the end of the year. But yeah, great win for O'Hara Davis. Um, best win of his career thus far. And we'll see what comes in the future. And for Tyrone McKenna, chin up. He'll come again too. And there seems to be a lot of mutual respect um, at the final bell, which is a welcome um, antidote to the pre-fight feelings between the two. Um, I hope you've uh, enjoyed this little review and that you agree with it if you watched the fight and that it's enlightened you a little bit if you were unable to see it. And I'll see you all soon. Cheers.
Well, here he is. He's down ringside with Andy Scott. O'Hara, congratulations. You are the winner of the golden contract in the grudge match. Yeah. How do you feel? I feel good. Um, listen, training camp was extra hard, extra long. I've been sparring 13 rounds. I've been sparring light middleweights. I want to shout out to my friend Josh and my other friend. Jemani, I've been sparring them both for this camp. They both helped me so much. And if it wasn't for them, I don't believe I would have won this fight. So they really helped me out. My coaches, Kevin Mitchell, Will Jones. Listen, I'm on top of the road. I know you can't see it right now. But listen, after this, we go and get some bagels. We go and get five guys. We go and get apple crumble and custard. We go and have an Indian. We go and have a Chinese. We go and have a Burger King. We go to the McDonald's drive free We're going to get Big Mac meal, apple pies, McFlurries. <laughs> Strawberry milkshake, you name it. We can't go party, hell yeah. <laughs> it felt like, certainly from watching from ringside and reflected in the judges' mm. scorecards, it, mm. it was a very close fight. It was mm. quite difficult to score. Were you confident that you had done enough? I don't think it was that close. One of the judges, they had it down as a draw. I, was, I, was, I literally thought to myself, what's going on here? What is going on here? I felt I won the fight, the fight quite comfortably. Um, I could have taken up another two three notches I heard I heard Kevin Mitchell and I heard Will Jones in the corners like do what you've been doing in the gym throw more shots but I, I just thought to myself listen I've been throwing one shot and it's been working I don't really want to take any risks because I'm winning each round so as I heard that one judge said that it was a draw I was thinking hell no that was a wild fight he probably won two three rounds of that fight so despite the uh, monumental food order that you've uh, just laid out you have won the golden contract it's a lucrative listen. promotional deal um, what do you want to do next? Where does the future um, I'm, take you? I'm the first winner of the golden contract. The first one to ever win. Hell yeah. Where does the future take me? Listen, as of now, the future's taking me to five guys. <laughs> the future is taking me to the burger shop. Because, um, listen, I need a rest from boxing. I need a little break. Even if it's a month off, just to enjoy life, get fat, be out of my friends. Because, listen, I've been, I have sacrificed so much. I haven't gone to clubs. I haven't partied. I've been None eating. of us have, to be fair. True. But I haven't been out with my friends. Um, I've, I've been strict in my training regime, in my diet, Wendy's meals. They've been doing all my food for the past few years and, and they've been great. I made weight super easy for this fight. And I know when I'm in top shape, there is no one in the world that can match me. And I'm coming for everyone now. I'm coming. You told us yesterday, it's been four years in the making, the fans have called for the fight, Tyrone mm. has called for the fight. Yeah. Uh, been a bit of a much maligned figure in British boxing as yeah. well. Um, mm. I saw your tweet today, you know, that was the first time that you've watched your Josh Taylor fight back. Uh -huh. Do you feel like you've vindicated yourself a bit tonight? I don't think so. Watching that Taylor fight this morning, I watched it for the first time ever. The fight happened over three and a half years ago. I've never watched it. But listen, this morning in bed, woke up about 7am, I said to myself, I've got to face my fears. I've got to see what happened. I've got to watch the whole fight where I get dropped, the, fight, the part where I turn my back. And I remember, I remember the, all the humiliation that I felt. My pride was hurt. I, was, I felt disrespected. And I said to myself, that will never happen again, ever. And I'm going I'm, I'm to watch that fight every day now. I'm going to watch that fight every single day to bear in mind how that felt to remind myself how that pain felt and to tell myself I'm never going to feel that pain again. Never. Well, go out, enjoy. You're the first winner of the golden contract. Congratulations. Thank you. Hi there, guys. Danny Flexen for Seconds Out.
Not so much breaking news as I imagine most people watch the fight, but just a quick review on the golden contract show tonight on Sky Sports. I've paused it, as you can see behind me, with a new belt around his waist and an arm around one of his trainers, Kevin Mitchell, obviously former great fighter himself. Um, O'Hara Davis, who edged Tyrone McKenna, bitter rival Tyrone McKenna in the final of the golden contract tournament for the super lightweights. Um, I had it uh, slightly, McKenna slightly ahead, but I wasn't focused completely during a couple of the early rounds. I had some other stuff going on. I was still watching it, but I could understand it going either way. The three men that mattered and the judges, one of whom was also the referee on the night. The referee had it 95-95, uh, so five rounds each. But the other two judges who were scoring from outside the ring had, both had it 96-94, six rounds to four in favour of O'Hara Davis. Um, the Essex man, well, Hackney man, now based in Essex, um, takes the WBC, I think it's WBC International title, but I stand to be corrected on that. In what proved to be quite a cagey um, tactical affair, despite the fact that there was a lot of pre-fight hostility and build-up between the two, it didn't turn out to be the kind of gripping war that some people expected. It was very tactical, especially in the early going. Um, I thought O'Hara Davis had... Um, drifted out to a bit of a deficit on the scorecards over the first half of the fight. Um, McKenna was moving around. Not all his shots were landing, but he was certainly throwing a lot more than Davis in the early part of the fight or the first half. Um, and then twisting away, using his height and reach. Obviously, Davis has um, really long reach, disproportionate to his height. But McKenna's six foot one, which is pretty huge for a super lightweight. And he used that to his advantage as much as possible. And early on, it just seemed like there wasn't enough urgency about Davis. He was content to kind of plod after McKenna, follow him around the ring a little bit and try and line up that huge right hand that he has. Um, not huge as in bigger than a standard right hand, but packs a lot of power, as most people know. Um, but then things started to change in the middle rounds. Uh, McKenna sustained a cut, quite a severe one actually, to his eye in round six. And that was when Davis really started to put more um, emphasis on his work, cut the ring down a little bit more, try and move his feet into range a bit faster. And I think one of the problems McKenna had, especially as he started to tire, was judging um, Davis's range. So he'd pop off a jab or a double jab. And then as before he could try and take a step back or to the side and move away, um, Davis had counted him. And it's hard to judge with Davis because he isn't the tallest, but does have that long reach. And his reactions for single shots are actually quite snappy. So, and he showed good ring IQ as well, O'Hara Davis. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't enough work rate for me. Um, I thought he could have thrown more shots and I thought he could have varied his work a fair bit more. But what he did throw was intelligent. Um, his shot selection was, was pretty good, if not diverse. And towards the end of the fight, he seemed to take over to an extent. But then once it got into like rounds nine and ten, it seemed like Davis, despite his success, had then allowed um, McKenna to get back into his boxing rhythm. And I thought he was throwing it away. I had it really, really close going into the final round, which I think most people, I haven't seen the judges' scorecards yet, I think most people would say that um, Tyrone McKenna won that final round, got up on his toes. Davis showed very little urgency. Maybe he felt he was clearly ahead, and as it turned out, he was. Um, but yeah, it didn't show particularly a lot of urgency. But he landed the more telling shots throughout the fight, albeit not perhaps as many as McKenna and not in flashy bursts. But... The telling shots, the harder shots, you could tell the weight of them. And I think the fact that there's no crowd noise only amplifies that. You know, you can hear every shot. 
as they say, not just through the TV, but I guess the judges um, near the ring as well. And the referee, certainly, although he scored it, as I said earlier, a draw. Good win for O'Hara Davis. Not sure quite where he goes from here. It's the most important victory so far in his career. Only those two defeats, of course, against Josh Taylor, who went on to become a unified world champion. And Jack Catterall, um, who is a mandatory challenger for the other unified world champion at uh, super lightweight, Jose Ramirez. So only lost in really good company. And the Catterall fight was pretty close as well. So he'll look to move up in levels, um, having now won that golden contract. But McKenna can hold his head up higher. A lot of people on social media had him winning. It was a very close fight. Could have gone either way. So he can improve from this under a great coach in Pete Taylor. Um, so we'll see what happens with him. Before I go, I should also mention the uh, Golden Contract Light Heavyweight semi-final. Second one, that took uh, the one that took place on this show. Which saw Liam Conroy, um, unfortunately for a lot of people that like him and the way he goes about his business, fall to a fourth round defeat. Uh, against the German Serge Michael or Michel, however you choose to pronounce it. Um, he looked a class above, um, to be fair. Uh, Conroy looked good early on, uh, sound fundamentals, good jab, good head movement. But once uh, Michel got the distance and really started to land, he was the, by far the bigger man physically and landed the more powerful shots as well and um, dropped uh, Conroy a number of times to earn his place in the final opposite Ricard Bolotniks. Um, I don't think many people would have predicted a uh, Bolotniks Michelle final when the draw and, well, when the field was first announced. But that's what we're getting. And we're not sure when that's going to be. Um, but hopefully before the end of this year, perhaps on the show that sees uh, Jazza Dickens and Ryan Walsh finally settle featherweight supremacy in the Golden Contract Tournament. That fight was called off um, yesterday after Jazza and his assistant coach, Derry Matthews, both tested positive for COVID-19, um, having been tested at the fight hotel. Um, they're both keen, both Ryan Walsh and Jazz Dickens, keen to get that fight back on again before the end of the year. But yeah, great win for O'Hara Davis. Um, best win of his career thus far. And we'll see what comes in the future. And for Tyrone McKenna, chin up. He'll come again too. And there seems to be a lot of mutual respect um, at the final bell, which is a welcome um, antidote to the pre-fight feelings between the two. Um, I hope you've uh, enjoyed this little review and that you agree with it if you watched the fight and that it's enlightened you a little bit if you were unable to see it. And I'll see you all soon. Cheers.
Is your debt causing you sleepless nights? Knock your debt out with Debt KO. And your debt won't be the only thing keeping you up at night. Debt KO, free impartial advice on all your debt. Andrew McCarthy, IFL TV in association with MTK Global. Well, Ty Tyrone, thanks for doing this interview. I know it's not, probably not the best of times to ask you for an interview, but just to go back to that fight there, after that 10 round wobble, O'Hara Davis, did you think you won the fight with that final bill? 100%. Um, I'm not going to cry and say, oh, robbery, robbery. The judges saw what they saw. Um, they obviously thought O'Hara done the better work, but I thought, and Pete, during every round, every corner, everything went back to the corner, he was saying his boxing brilliant. I felt it was boxing brilliant. I think. You know when you're boxing brilliant, and what I was doing was working on foot. And uh, I think the way O'Hara came out the last few rounds with pressure on, trying to trying to end things because I think he knew or felt he was behind. Um, but look what can he do at the end of the day? He got the decision. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna scream robbery like other fighters would. But uh, that's what it is. It's quite sombre for me to see you like this, because normally me and you have a laugh when we do interviews, so it's like, again, looking at the fight in there, was there a moment in that fight when he had you hurt? He's obviously you, your eyes, but your eyes get cut all the time, Ty, but was there a moment in that fight when he had you hurt and anything like Because he is known for his right hand and the power yeah. in that right hand. You could feel the part, like he did have heavy hands, but you could also see the shots. So the shots that you see don't hurt as much as the shots that don't see. So... um I was never worried about his, his power or worried about, oh, he's going to hurt me ever because I could see everything coming. Um, so, no. Um, yeah, I just... I don't know. You pissed off? Not pissed off, just dejected. Uh, just felt that I'd done enough. I feel... I, I just feel like I'd done enough, but I just didn't see it. They just didn't see it. You said to me during the fight week on Monday and Tuesday, you're going to give him a boxing lesson. You boxed beautiful in there tonight, you are on the back foot, you were dancing, you were throwing feints and stuff like that. Did you feel like you gave him a boxing lesson in there? Because we, normally when, at the end of a close fight like that, you look at the two fighters and it's, one fighter raises their hands, they know they won the fight, and you raised your hands as soon as that final bell rang. Did you feel like you gave O'Hara Davis that boxing lesson that you promised? Yeah, um, I stuck to the game plan, on the toes, moving to the right, jab, jab to a jab, uh, once he froze cash and come back with stuff, and that's what I was doing. I felt it was it was working perfectly. I thought the game plan was spot on. I don't think there was much I could have done different in that fight. Um, I wanted the box. I showed that I could box. I could have went to war there, but it wasn't a smart move. I mean, because I thought it was winning rounds, I felt let's just stick to the game plan and stick to what was working. Um, but maybe if I knew it was down, I could have put the pressure on it and made it a slugfest and won that way. But the thing is, <clears throat> you said they're making it a slugfest, and you, normally you, you do like to go and well, tear it up a little bit mm. in, in sort of the middle rounds and stuff like that. Do you feel like if you did stand your ground a little bit and trade with them a bit more on the inside, maybe the judges would have swayed it to your side? 
Maybe. I, I mean, judges don't really like seeing boxers uh, going on the back foot and stuff like that. Sometimes they mark it down for it, but uh, it also would have been dangerous. He does hit hard, and uh, if I had a war with him, maybe I wouldn't even have finished the fight. So I think it was box a smart fight. I think it boxed the right fight, and I think I maybe should have got the decision, but it was a close. It was. Some of the rounds were close, and you could have given him rounds. Um, there's some rounds where he did land nice shots, um, but I just thought I'd, I'd won more rounds than he'd won. I know how much this winning this golden contract meant for you and, and your young family and stuff like that because you kept on going about how much you really, really wanted to win it. But a performance like that against O'Hara Davis, who's again been in with some top level fighters as well, I mean, he is a very good fighter himself, and you've done yourself no harm there. Sometimes people say a loss is a lesson and stuff like that. Jamie Conlon over there said that it's, you, you done, it was a great performance. You boxed out your skin and stuff like that. So do you feel like, you've, even though you did lose this fight, do you feel like you have proven that you belong at this level? I've, I've always proved that I belong at this level. Um, I've, I think I've, I've proven many times that I belong to that level. I beat Mamoun, who was a heavy ranked fighter. Um, I, I got beat by a point by Jack Carroll, who's fighting for world title. Um, when I got beat by a point there, which I thought maybe I should have won, but I didn't. Um, so I've always competed in this level and I've always shown that I belong in this level. And I believe in... I know I did get a loss there. Um, I don't want to go back backwards. Um, I want to still have big face, and, and there's a lot of big faces there domestically and internationally. Jumping on that, like... Your division, like I keep saying to you, is probably one of the most stacked divisions domestically. So even though you, you have proven that you're at that level, so there's still big names out there for you, Ty, that you can call out like you normally do. I know you've been calling out Hard Davis for, for, for four years, so maybe there's somebody you can call out and wait another four years for. <laughs> I hope I'm not waiting four years. But uh, if you just want to... Uh, no, call somebody out. Right? I know it's fresh. Just call somebody out. fuck's sake, I just got beat. <laughs> um, I'd fight on anyone in the top, top ten in Britain top five in Britain, the top five in the world. I don't care who I fight. I just want to fight anyone that's uh, that's highly ranked and highly rated. I know you're fresh out of the ring there, Ty, but what's next for you in terms of your family and stuff like that? You're going to go and take a nice long break away from boxing? Yeah, I'll have a couple of weeks with my family. I mean, because of COVID, I've locked myself away. I haven't seen them at all, really. So I'll uh, have a break with my family and spend a lot of time with them and heal and then get back into hopefully the mix I won't keep you much longer Ty because obviously coming off a loss like that and see how disappointed you are and I don't want to keep you much longer so I've got to thank you for doing this for TV. thank you for speaking to me and hopefully right. next time we have a chat we can go back to ourselves again thank you Ty thank you. thanks thank you. is your debt causing you sleepless nights knock your debt out with debt KO and your debt won't be the only thing keeping you up at night. Debt KO. Free, impartial advice on all your debt. Hey there, man. Um, just a few questions from me today. Uh, first of all, please don't scream in the interview like you did in the background because you gave me a little heart attack, I can't lie. Um, but first of all, Winters. Okay, so you got him out inside too um, and now you've got to deal with Kennedy. In some, yeah, a lot of people may say there's not much difference between the two. 
So what are you looking to show and prove this time around compared to the last fight? Listen, I don't look to show nothing. I just, I just come to the to my working day. It's, it's my work. Right? That's what I do. You know, so I know people out for living. That's what I do. It. I'm gonna do that. I don't need to show anything. You know, but people, that is good thing about because I'm kind of an enigma, you know, for the for the hardcore fans. They don't know what I can do. You know, so I want to keep it that way. Um, I was gonna say as well the the fight between Hergovic. Gotta bring that up quickly as well. Uh, Kalis Salen, who deals with uh, Hergovic, said it's like going from non-league football, which is you know lower league, to the Premier League, um, and said you're gonna eventually have to walk the walk. Do you do you understand and respect that, or um, yeah, what's your sort of reaction to it? Oh, Salen needs to change his deal. You know? He's yeah. talking all kinds of nonsense, and I don't like it. I don't even know that guy. Who, who the fuck is Salen? I don't know. I don't. I don't like. Him. I don't like him already. You know, so I don't really care. Hergovic just fought a guy who is like 618 second in the world. And I'm fighting a guy who is 101st. And he keeps telling me about oh, I'm using Hergovic. I'm not using nobody, but I'm me. I'm savage. Savage doesn't, doesn't need nobody to promote this fight. Finally, then, last one from me. A uh, second fight in quick succession you only fought recently, in all honesty, in the boxing world. Uh, how do you see uh, the end of the year going, finishing the year? Maybe one more fight in December? Yeah, of course, I'm going to have a fight on the Dillian undercard. You know, he told me I'm going to have a fight. Okay. I believe him. Yeah, yeah, he told me I have a spot. So I just got to do my stuff. You know, he just told me we speak every day. You know, Dillian's a great guy. And he just told me get get rid of Neil and let's go to bigger things. You know, I think Tom Little is being mentioned by the fans. And of course, there's been a lot of mentioning Dave Allen, or like Dave Allen, Tom Little, Lucas Brown, any other, anything, anybody you want to see with me. All right, fair enough. I'm going to pass you on to the rest of them. Good luck on uh, Sunday and uh, we'll speak soon. Thank you, brother. Alan, how's it going, my friend? You okay? Very good, very good. Fight care. Alan, just, just talk to me about how grateful you are you're fighting again because there's a lot of fighters out there who are not fighting. They're not fought in uh, 2020. It's going to be two, uh, if you win this fight, maybe three times in 2024 yourself. So how grateful are you that you're going to be fighting again? Well, I, I said to Eddie Hearn the first day I went to pro, you know, like last year. Uh, I said, I want, I want 10 fights a year. If you can make it, I'm going to fight it, you know. And I think fans are going to enjoy that because I am different and I bring something different to this game you know, because I want to fight. I'm here for fighting. I've done my training. I've done my sparring. I've done everything. Now give me fights, you know. You'll just see what I can do. Test me. And... Uh... Just, just talking about yourself, every time I look on sort of social media, there seems to be some sort of video regarding yourself. Now, you're getting a bit more familiar in the media game. Um, how are you dealing with all of this sort of new life? Because before you, know, before you joined Dillian White, you were fighting in Croatia, but now you, there's a lot of cameras on you, there's a lot of people that you need to talk to. How are you dealing with that sort of pressure? Well, I, I actually surprised myself with how good I deal with that. You know, I didn't know what I'm going Because later, my guy from the Croatian knows, when media called me out, I was devastated. You know, just a small, like a small uh, uh, web, web, uh, you know, small place called me out. I was devastated. Now it's good. It's good. It's very good. People love me. People accept me for who I am. You know? And I, I speak like I am, so I have nothing to hide. And people recognize that and they love me. I love them for it. So, just so it's been great. 
just final question for myself. You've got this name, the savage, you know, you've got this mean persona around you, but just sort of bringing you into boxing and your inspiration. Who was your inspiration, inspiration bringing you into boxing? Was it certain fighters that you were watching when you were younger? Yeah, of course. It was all the fighters from the golden age of boxing, the golden era of boxing or the heavyweights. But Joe Fraser was always my idol and he's always going to be my, because of his humbleness, his ruthlessness in the ring. That's what I tried to mimic. That's why I'm like him. And, and I, and Dillian is also my, uh, one of my, uh, my idols because I see him. You know, and he, he has no, nothing, you know, stopping. He, he, he speaks what he wants. And I saw it and I said, oh, I can do that. You know? <laughs> I like this guy. So Dillian is also a big part of my confidence. Alan, thank you very much. I'm going to pass you over to the others. So, man, thank you. Any more questions, guys? Yeah, sorry, can I come in? Yeah. Um, uh, hi, Alan. Uh, I just want to ch uh, ask you, um, you got this image, obviously, the savage. Uh, is it something you can switch on and off? Or does it ever come out in sort of everyday life? Well, listen, like I said many times before, I, I, I can't switch it off. The savage does whatever the F he wants, you know, and I really can't. You know, I just hope he's going to be with me, you know, my important fights, you know. I know he's gonna he's gonna be with me, but I can't guarantee it. You know, it's not a guarantee. I can come in as well and get my head mashed in. You know, it's it's possible. But, but it's not with you. It's not with you when you're uh, in the supermarket or something like that. You, you don't carry it around with you all the time. <laughs> I hope no. I hope it doesn't show. No. I I don't know. I hope you know, for everybody's sake. It's fucking lunatic. It's crazy. It's only snatching things off. The shelves in front of everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm going to leave and just not pay the bill. That, that's something he will do. So I hope it never happens. Excellent. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. Danny Flexen, do you want to jump in, mate? Cheers, mate. Hi, Alan. How you doing? Hello. Very good. Very good. Good, good. I've come to this a little bit late, so I may replicate some questions that have already been asked. Hopefully not. Um, a lot of people have been asking you about your nickname, The Savage, and how that's reflected in your personality. Who first gave you that nickname and, and for what reason? It was my brother, Dillian White. You know, he was, uh, we were at the, first, at the first parting sessions and we did, just did like five rounds. It was absolute war, absolute war, five rounds. And he told me, I, I said to him, Dillian, we're going to spar tomorrow. And it was like Sunday or something. And he said... No, go away, I don't want to see you, you're, you're savage. I don't want to see your face. And I was like, oh, savage. And he started to call me savage every day. And in like four or five days, it catch on and that's it. And I said, I'm savage. I just recognized what I was all the time. He recognized that in me. Danny Flexen here for Seconds Out. Delighted to be joined by the president of MP Promotions. An all-around boxing legend, at least for the people that know their stuff, Sean Gibbons. Sean, how are you doing? Danny, doing wonderful. It's uh, great to uh, be back speaking with you. The last time we were talking to you, uh, you brought us a lot of good luck because the next day, uh, <laughs> John Real Castro knocked out Solana at that day. So always great to be uh, speaking with you. Well, I think we proved that you don't need my luck after what um, John Riel did to his challenger on Saturday night, Duke Micah. I think going into the fight, a lot of observers considered that Micah might be a bit of a banana skin um, coming in, unbeaten record, essentially nothing to lose apart from that zero. And John Riel got him out of there in pretty devastating fashion. How pleased were you with his performance? 
Um, I mean, I was overly pleased because, you know, a lot of things that like you just said, uh, there's always the potential for a big letdown when you're training and you've been working out for seven, eight months and you've had a, a lot of peaks and valleys. You know, one moment you're fighting the, arguably the best pound-for-pound pound and weight in the world, uh, Anobi, the monster. Then we had a few other offers. Then some, you know, things kept happening. And then, you know, when uh, we got offered Duke Micah, it's definitely Duke Micah was a formidable opponent, undefeated, Olympian, uh, training in New York with uh, the guys that um, uh, own, uh, can't think of his name right now, the uh, the equipment there, uh, Havoc. Um, but really, like you said, nothing to lose. The guy, the guy was dead game. If you're not as good as Casemiro, that guy, you know, Duke Mike is going to give a lot of guys problems. And you're seeing their tremendous heart. I mean, this guy was done in the second round. And he stood in there like, like a true warrior he is. And basically was carried out on his shield. I mean, seeing that performance from John Riel Casimero, do you think that makes Neuer Inoue's team more or less likely to take up the challenge? Well, I didn't call it, but uh, I think his new name is the Japanese Turtle. Uh, not the monster anymore. Um, John Real, John Real considers him. You know, I believe. Um, I believe in Noe, of course. You know, he, he considers himself the best. I think he wants Casemiro. Um, I hope somewhere with his promotional team of top rank Bob Arum and Mister Honda, maybe in the new year we get it together somewhere. Um, you know, at the moment they decided to go a different route. They decided to take an in-house Jason Maloney. You know, they figured it was easy to make. They have contracts with those guys. Instead of really stepping out and giving the fans the fight that should have happened, because, you know, at top rank, they're doing big fights. They're doing Lomachenko, Tiafimo. They're doing Valdez versus Belchert. So, you know, they had it in the budget, but they chose to take the easy route. And now that they saw Castamero, uh, you know, devastate Duke Micah, I don't know if Bob Arum's going to be in that big of a rush to make that fight. <laughs> How much of a factor was COVID in the fight not eventually happening? Um, COVID actually played, I, I would say, COVID really played uh, pretty much uh, the, the, the problem with everything because, you know, the fight needed uh, the MGM and it needed kind of fans, um, you know, high rollers, people from Japan. It was his uh, coming out party. It was really his first fight in the U.S., um, on a major network, he had fought here one more, you know, one other time, about three, four years ago on uh, on HBO. But this was the real coming out party for Noe. And um, you know, with the MGM sponsoring it, they needed those Japanese high rollers. So COVID, you know, COVID has been the uh, the winner over a lot of fighters during this period. They've had a lot of knockouts, COVID nineteen. So that that's pretty much what uh, what deterred the fight. How challenging overall have you found it as president of MP Promotions to get your guys out during this period with lockdowns and restrictions on international travel and everything like that? Well, unfortunately, uh, a great example of that is Jerwin and Kahas, the IBF um, super flyweight uh, champion. You know, Top Rank had a ton of shows in June, July, August, and unfortunately, Jerwin was a casualty of he had his visa approved on March, like, 12th. The pandemic hit March 15th. They closed the U.S. Embassy for three months, and he couldn't get in, couldn't get in. And then when he got an appointment, it got canceled. So finally he was able to get his uh, visa on September, excuse me right now, he just, yeah, September 
like the 15th. And then all of a sudden, all the dates are gone and there's problems. So, you know, it's been challenging for guys uh, like Jerwin and Cajas, but, you know, fighters that are in the U.S., like Mark McSayo, uh, John Rio Casimero, they have dates, they've had fights. You know, overall, it, it definitely caused uh, a lot of problems, too, with the, some of the uh, Hispanic fighters I have. Israel Gonzalez lost his world title fight. Uh, he was due to fight the Maloney brother that ended up getting beat by Josh Franco. So, you know, it, it definitely caused uh, some problems with some of the guys. But, you know, we had, we had pretty good success, too, uh, over that period with Magic Mike uh, Pena, who beat Josh Greer. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of guys that were lucky that were in the country, it didn't affect that bad, but it really hurt Jerwin and Cajas and a couple other kids. Now, Planeer is obviously not one of your uh, most high-profile fighters, but do you get even more satisfaction from a guy like him winning against the odds than maybe some of the higher-profile guys? Uh, which guy was that you said, Mike? Uh, Mike Planeer, who beat Josh Greer. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm happy for any of those guys because, you know, they sacrifice so much. They work so hard. They, um, you know, I work with a lot of guys, so I get a lot of highs, a lot of lows, whatever. And these, these kids have one shot at it. They got one big um, go to either make or break, either go to the penthouse or back down to the outhouse. <laughs> sure. And I'm, I'm just always thrilled when I'm able to put them into position and they get the job done. And I always loved Magic Mike, and I thought, you know, that fight with Career, he had a real shot of winning, as did a lot of people. And um, you know, it was a great, it was a great moment. But now I hope we can uh, build off of that, and you know, get him something to, uh, you know, get him some kind of world title fight or something else. And you've got uh, Ray Mark Gabayo as well, who's uh, number one challenger at bantamweight for Inoue, yeah. for one of Inoue's belts. What's going to happen there, considering how difficult it's been to make the fight with Casimero? Would you anticipate it being similarly difficult to get a, a Gabayo fight over the line? You know, it's it could be the same. You know, if if, if somebody's not see the other thing is I have the mandatory for a Noe. I, I got I got a Noe boxed in. I got three Filipinos coming for him. So <laughs> I got John Bio Casimero, WBO champion, Raymark Gabayo. Uh, WBA number one, and I have the mandatory, the IBF challenger, Michael Dasmarinas, oh, for course, yeah. Anoi. So, you know, we're talking, <laughs> the Filipinos are coming for this guy heavy. <laughs> we, got him, we got him coming from all angles, and, uh, you know, depending on the situation, uh, after he fights uh, Maloney, he's got no way to get around Michael Dasmarinas. He has to fight him or give the belt up. So, um, so you know, and Raymark, Raymark's going to fight in November. Uh, for something, maybe a WBA intro, maybe. So I don't see those guys at the moment. I see, you know, potentially still the biggest fight out there is Casimero and Noe. But another fight we kind of like, we like, you know, possibly Guillermo Rigondeaux um, mm. in the unification. And then a really interesting special fight would be Casimero attempting to go for his fourth uh, weight class title against Luis Neri. Wow, yeah, that'd be an amazing fight. Yeah, and uh, you know, I watched Neri. Neri's an amazing guy when it comes to uh, to letting the offense go, but he's defensively he's a lot like Anoe that their defense is very weak, but their offense is sensational. You know, I think to me, to me, Anoe, and not because I I work with Casimero, but the guy's defense is really really bad. 
And Casemiro has special tools, special skills. He actually moves out of the way and slips punches. A Noe gets hit clean. So that's why I always like Casemiro's chances with a Noe. Neary's the same way. Neary's even worse. Fights with his hands down, his leads with his chin. Neary's been on the deck three different times and twice the Filipino fighters, um, you know, in the last few years in his career. So, I mean, you know, if a Noe does not happen, it's not the end of the world. We're not going to chase it anymore. We're not going to sit here and say, hey, that's what we're waiting for. You know, Casemiro is a, as you saw, is such a charismatic, fun, exciting TV guy himself. So why should we chase something? You know, why are we chasing the monster? They know where we're at. They know how to find us. They want to make it. Come make it. If not, all we're looking to do is get back on TV. If it's uh, Showtime, if it's Fox, um, this kid's a fun kid. He's a TV-friendly fighter. So that's kind of the idea. Now, for the people listening to this who don't know what MP Promotion stands for, I'm not sure why they're watching a boxing channel, but... It obviously stands for Manny Pacquiao Promotions, living legend, Filipino icon, and state senator, of course, as well. Wouldn't be a complete conversation with Sean Gibbons without asking about the senator. How's he getting on? How's he balancing, you know, training with his uh, senatorial duties? And how's how have they been affected over there by the lockdown? Or have they had a lockdown? Yeah, oh, no, they've had a lockdown. When they lock down, it's not like England, it's not like the U.S., it's locked down. <laughs> you don't you don't leave the house without permission. You don't go to, you know, we're locked down in the U.S. I don't feel any different. I can go to 7-Eleven, I can go to Walmart, I can roll out, I can, I can drive to another state. Um, but the Philippines is very different. When they go in lockdown in some of these cities, you know, you're, you're talking to military checkpoints. Uh, they have to, you know, really get on it so people abide by the, you know, by the lockdown. So... The senator spent most of his time in General Santos City at his home uh, at his hometown, and um, you know, training-wise, he's he, he's always doing something. It was basketball, hitting the pads, running. So he's maintained his condition over this period, and his senatorial duties, which is first and foremost what he does. Boxing's like a hobby. He does it's a good hobby though. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a hobby that pays well. A lucrative but hobby, yeah. Being but being a senator is one, boxing is two. So during this whole you know time, he's been securing uh, you know relief efforts with the COVID nineteen masks, the testing kit, um, really just doing what he's supposed to uh, as an elected official by the people. And um, you know it's a lot of Zoom meetings and everything because like everywhere you know there's, they don't they don't meet. So he's been um, you know he's been staying really busy with that and uh, just you know. Staying, staying ready to get ready to hopefully uh, re-enter the ring maybe in uh, 2021 sometime. And it looks like that re-entry may come against a particular UFC superstar um, from what we've been you hearing. Know, you know, it's, it's funny. It's funny you say that. I uh, I don't know. I, I think that tweet came about, about noon or 1 o'clock when Connor was uh, uh, talking about he's fighting the senator next or challenging. I don't know if he was dipping into the proper 12. But you know, it's, it's, I told a lot of people it's, uh, it's something that absolutely uh, would be of interest. You know, when you have two big global icons, you know, like Connor, like the center that people know in every country you go, uh, an event like that would be tremendous. But, you know, at, at the moment, it's like everything. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of... Uh, 
um, you know, possibilities. But it's a long way from happening. But if it could happen, hey, it would it would make a, it would make a really really fun uh, fun fun fight. Now I think I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. A lot of people allege that Floyd Mayweather, when he fought um, Conor McGregor, carried the Irishman for a number of rounds to give the fans more entertainment or for whatever reason. I can't see Manny Pacquiao ever doing something like that. What, what about you? Well, first of all, I'll tell you this much. I was at the fight. I was about five, six rows back. And I don't believe that uh, Floyd carried him at any point early on. That was the real deal. Conor McGregor can fight. He ain't no bum. I mean... You know, maybe he's not going to beat the Manny Pacquiao and the Floyd Mayweather's of the world, but if you take a top 10 guy and put him in there, he can compete with any of them any time. And Mayweather, basically being out of the ring for two or three years, um, and I'm telling you, when I was there, I was like, wow, this is really... Connor's got an awkward style, first of all. He's kind of... Uh, his arms are long and whatever. So early on, I believe he was doing well. That was the real deal. You know, as he got tired... Then Mayweather's experience took over, but of course, you know, Floyd's going to say things like that, because uh, that's maybe Floyd Eagle talking or whatever, but I, I didn't, you know, being there live, I didn't feel like anybody was carrying anybody. I just felt like Mayweather knew he had the experience, and he let Connor come out below his wad, and then he stepped on the gas pedal when the guy got tired, you know, because people don't realize, MMA shaped, you have, uh, uh, what is it, mixed, mixed martial arts shaped, and boxing shape, two different worlds, man. Two different worlds. So, <laughs> Connor's capable enough to work with anybody. Now, you know, you step over to the senator, senator's in a little different style because, you know, the senator's still fighting at, at the highest level of the sport. And um, senator could turn your lights out with one punch. So, I still think you know, Connor, uh, Connor's competitive, but if the senator really launches one, that could be the end of... Uh, the end of the evening very abruptly. In your position as obviously close confidant and, and head of his promotional company, is it a fight you'd like to see him take? Because obviously it's an easier fight on paper than some of the other boxers he could fight, but it's also a lot more lucrative. Um, yeah, I mean, of course. Well, why not? Why wouldn't you? Um, and, you know, I always put it this way. If the people speak, the people want it, the people will buy it. If they don't, they don't. But if any two guys that are professional that want to fight, who's to say why not? If, if Logan Paul wants to fight Floyd Mayweather, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm tuning in. I'm buying. I, 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 I like freak shows. I like weird stuff. I like, you know, I watch strange things already. And I, I hate when people criticize it. Oh, that's bullshit. That's whatever. Well, shut up. Don't buy it. Don't, don't, you know, we, we don't need your two cents. You know what I mean? Um somebody wants to see it or, or it wouldn't be a market for it. I mean, a lot of these younger kids, these YouTube kids, it's, it's entertainment. That's, we, we go out and sit in a baseball game or wherever. We buy different entertainment to go, you know, to take our minds off things like COVID-19. But I'm, I'm good with anything. It's like Tyson and Roy Jones coming up. I mean, you call it what you want, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not an exhibition. When that bell <laughs> rings, these two dudes are going to be looking to take each other's head off. There ain't no... There ain't no exhibition. Exhibition is, uh, you know, some headgear, 20-ounce gloves, two guys working with each other, knowing that, hey, we're not here to really hurt each other. I mean, those two cats got ego, pride, and bragging rights. So, so yeah, I mean, if, if, if there's a market for it, I'm all for it, and I think it's a fun, big, 
entertaining fight. And again, if someone doesn't like it, don't buy it. It gives you a bit of cover as well, doesn't it, I suppose? You see, you know, this year, if we do get Mayweather, Logan Paul, if we get Tyson and Roy Jones in their 50s or whatever they are, people will be begging to see Manny Pacquiao and Conor McGregor as an antidote to it. Yeah, and you know, partly, Manny Pacquiao has earned the right to do whatever Manny Pacquiao wants to do. The man fought for 25 years, going on 26 years this year, and has given everything, has every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears, knock cold, knock people cold, you name it, he's done it for the sport, and he deserves in his, you know, potentially his last few years, whatever, whatever, you know, possible fight is out there, that if someone wants to buy it, and someone wants to promote it, he's earned it, like, you know, when all these young guys call him out, he's so past that nonsense, what does he have to prove? I mean, he has nothing to prove. What I'll tell you what, he proved everything by beating Keith Thurman. That win there was in the top three wins he's ever accomplished in his career. Beating a 30-year-old man in his prime who came to rumble, was in tremendous shape, and the senator at his age of 40, beating Keith Thurman says it all. So, you know, the Earl Spences, the Crawfords, come on, please, be quiet. Fight your, you, know, you guys go fight each other and see who's left standing. Great stuff. Well, Sean, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. I'm going to have to let you go for the rest of your long journey to LA, but I'm sure you won't be bored. Thank you, Danny. And uh, if you uh, if you get a chance, you run across my good friend Andy Ailing. Please send my best. <laughs> I see him quite often, actually. Well, well good. Send, send my best to Andy. We'll have to get together. We do it every few years. We don't we don't get together often, but when me and Andy do it, always entertaining. We would <laughs> we would do a good four round celebrity pay-per-view too me and Andy you'll have to let you'll have to let me come along and uh, bring the camera absolutely tell Andy <laughs> send Andy my best for real if you see him I will do thanks Sean All take right, care man. speak All soon right. thank you bye 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 bye